Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, August 23rd, 2020. The title of today's sermon is Dependent, Drawn, and Divinely Directed. Dependent, Drawn, and Divinely Directed. Look, we had an amazing service on Wednesday night. Man, we could say that about a lot of our services here at LCM, but Wednesday night was a special one. And we want to recap a little bit of what the Lord is instructing us as a church. A charge that God is giving us. A wake-up call that we have. And it involves the tabernacle. If you could show the first slide. So when you look at this slide, starting on the eastern side or the right side, there's only one entrance into the entire courtyard assembly. There was no beauty or majesty to draw you to this. It's the size of a Dollar General store. And the central part of the complex is about like a single wide trailer. The only thing that would draw you to it is the excellency of the name, character, authority, and reputation of the God who was dwelling there. So what we looked at largely on Wednesday was the perspective of someone like Rahab that looked out and saw this. Today, we're going to take a much closer look at what this is like in the life of a believer not an unbeliever. See, as you begin to approach, as you are drawn near because of the greatness of His name, through a singular entrance point, it leads you to the second step there that you see, which is the bronze altar. Now that you've been drawn near, what should happen immediately? What happens immediately in your heart is as you elevate the Lord, you realize that there is a contrast. But it's not just a contrast. There's a disparity between God's character and your character, between who He is and who you are. And the right way for us to do this is that we offer those parts that we see that are not in keeping with His character. We lay them on this bronze altar now, asking for His fire to burn those things up, asking for our very hearts, our very character, our very nature to be changed by His presence. With our sinful nature now burned up on the bronze altar, we come to the next item, which is the labor. It is here that we can be washed and renewed in the image of who He has made us, having our hands and our feet washed and sanctified, ready for His work. At the labor, if you were out somewhere and you were marred and beaten, and you no longer resembled what God made you to be, Pastor Piro has explained that at the labor, you're renewed. Well, this would be a little bit like being a hand being made back into a glove. But at the, at the menorah, the glove is breathed into. It's filled with the yeah. very substance of who God is. The thing is, is we don't know how to pray as we should pray. We don't know how to carry out God's will as we should. So after having your heart circumcised, after having the image of God renewed in you, you're asking Him to breathe into you direction for your life, direction for your conversation with Him at that very moment. You're trying to express a total dependency on the spirit of holiness to show you how to operate as a son of God. Amen. Moving from the menorah, the light of God's presence, as it has illuminated His very will, His very heart, His very nature to you. What happens is then you are able to have confirmation of His word as you move to the table of showbread. The table of His presence. Our brother came forward. Carlos came forward this morning and prayed a prayer, a moving prayer from his own heart. And he talked about the pillar and foundation of truth. 
In that moment, I couldn't help but see the pillar of fire represented by the menorah and the foundation of God's word that must move us, that must define who we are, that we might be powerful and effective in the kingdom of God. How good it is when we have the spirit and the word confirming what God's will is, giving us divine discernment. Well, that brings us to the golden altar. That here we can pray the will of the Father. We can have confidence that God's will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have the divine coordinates for the artillery of heaven to land on earth. And we can stand confidently before God that it will be done. How good does it feel to know that you've partnered with God in accomplishing something? You know, that's that's a feeling that you ought to be addicted to. And the way the linear format of the temple is worked out as, or in this case the tabernacle, is that by the time you're standing at his throne, you've already partnered with him in his will. His spirit showed you what it is, his word confirmed it, and at the golden altar of incense, you were partnering with God to accomplish something. Do you know what this leaves you as standing before his throne? The Ark of the Covenant is like the throne of His name. And it leaves you standing before your Father. And all you can do is glorify His name because He has divinely directed you and you have partnered with Him in His will on earth. There's no business between you. There's no sin between you. There's no burden between you. It's what it's like to actually return to walking with the Lord in the cool of the day. And we get to practice this regularly. Look, given what we've learned so far, whether you're approaching him for the first time or it's the 1500th time, you know what it all starts with? Dependency. The realization that you are utterly bankrupt when thinking about your own merit or ability. This is something that Christians readily admit to. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not by my strength. It's not by my power. It's only by the Spirit of the Lord. But all day, every day, we act as if we have merit and ability. We make our own decisions. All If you're going to be drawn to the Lord, it starts with dependency. You're utterly and totally insufficient unless He helps you. The fear that that causes, the consciousness of God that that causes. Look, we're Texans. Do you know why we drive trucks that are bigger than we need? Do you know why we carry guns when nobody's shooting at us? Do you know why we wear boots when we're not on horses? Because we, we want to be prepared for anything. Yes. We're not so prone to call the federal government to help us. But in the spiritual economy, you couldn't prepare enough. When your eyes are open to what's going on all around us, and I'm speaking about celestial powers, how could it do anything other than cultivate a sense of dependency in you? This fear of the Lord, this consciousness of His his presence cultivates inside of you a knowledge of dependency on Him in everything that you do. It does. We're going to read a psalm. And before we do, I want you to understand that the words of this psalm are not written by someone who's lost and crying out to God. It's written by the very King of Israel. A man who the Scripture declares has a heart after God's heart. And yet, as we read it, I want you to notice the level of dependency that he displays. 
so that you can apply it to your very life and inside of your very heart. And also, as we turn to it, this is a psalm that's written by David while in the Judean desert, fleeing from Absalom. So everybody turn to Psalm chapter 63 and say dependency when you get there. Not depends. <laughs> dependency. dependency. Depends is something entirely different. Psalm 63, verse 1. Although they do express dependency. They do. They do. I'm depending on God. I never get to that point. God, you are my God. Here he is starting off declaring and exalting the name, the character, the reputation of who God is. And he continues with earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What you hear is he is exalting the name of God and that he is in a place of bankruptcy. He is in a place of dependency where he needs God just to be able to survive. And that God is the only one who is the fountain of life. He continues in verse 2. I have seen you in the sanctuary. Oh, he's recalling that ability to be dependent and draw close to God. And beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify your name. See, church, I read this and see that we are utterly bankrupt. That here, David, like us, he has to seek for direction. He has to ask for water for his soul. David has to Ask for the physical ability to carry out the will of God because he is in a dry and thirsty place. See, this is being at a point of being completely dependent on God. But he saw, David saw the Lord in the sanctuary in the past and he is confident he will see it again. See, we can draw near to him because we know that he can make us like him. And it's a repetitive process. This is a daily process that we go over and over again. So from the very beginning of this message, let's get something straight. David is the king of Israel. He's not a man that is not in covenant with God. This is not Rahab coming from the outside towards the temple. This is you and I. People who are already credited with righteousness, but now must become what we've been credited with. And the tension between those things causes us to be dependent upon Him. Amen. Nobody usually likes it when you're called something you're not. (laughs) I mean, if somebody calls you a liar and you didn't lie, how do you feel about that? Well, what happens when they call you righteous and you're not? See, we must become what he is saying that we are. That's what this process is about. And that starts with dependency. Say that it starts with dependency. Starts with dependency. Pastor Matt taught us that it, it, uh, it comes from an understanding that we are bankrupt and need Him. We must have Him. But this is a problem because we all want to run away from that dependency. The moment that you begin to feel weak, the moment that you recognize your dependency, we often run, want to run away from it. And what we're saying today is you should run towards dependency upon Him. Amen. Think about Jesus' life. His life was completely dependent on the Father. Now, for all of our Bible students in here, we're going to throw a little Calvay Comer at you for a second. You ready, Bim? Okay, I'm just checking. Just checking. If Jesus lived 
in this kind of repetitive, daily dependency? How much more should you and I live in a daily, repetitive kind of dependency upon God Himself? Let's consider John 5 and 19. John 5, 19. We are not in such a hurry today that you can't turn to these scriptures with us and look at the Word of God and have it be confirming and directing you today. John 5, 19. Say dependency when you get there. Jesus gave them this answer. Come on, how good is it when God gives you an answer? Jesus is giving you this answer. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by Himself. Jesus Christ is saying that He, the Son, can do nothing by Himself. Somebody say nothing. Nothing. It is so easy to read this scripture to you, and I am painfully aware that I do a lot by myself. Driven by my own thoughts, driven by my own desires, driven by my own confidences. The Son says, I can do nothing by myself. He can only, He can do only what He sees His Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He only does what He sees God doing. He only operates in that way, in a complete, in a perfect dependency upon the Father. Look down a few verses in verse 30 of the same chapter. He says it again, by myself, I can do nothing. He's making sure that you're getting the repetitive nature of this. This wasn't a singular thought that he had. It was his very character and way of life. He was trying to make sure that the people hearing him understood this. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If he only does what he sees the Father do, if he only judges by what he hears from the very heavenly throne room, he's not seeking his own will. He's not seeking his own desire. He is demonstrating a complete, perfect, daily, repetitive dependency upon the Father that we all need and must have today. Amen. If you'll turn a page or two and get to John 8, we're going to be in verse 28. And you want to pay attention because I have a couple questions and you don't want to get them wrong. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. So let me ask, did Jesus say this? As a man or as God? I notice how many of you are dependent on the Holy Spirit to give you the answer right now. Which is good. That's what we're trying to demonstrate. Some of you said yes. A clever way to say both are true. I want to draw your attention to, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man. He's not demonstrating God's dependency on God. He's demonstrating the state of every human being. Is it because Jesus is a sinner that he's dependent on God? No. Then why is he dependent on him? Because he is a human being. 
Every breath is a gift from God. Everything that the Lord shares with him is what he did. He is incapable of his next action without the Father showing him, or he would be sinning. What does that say about our level of dependency? See, it was because he's a human being and that all human beings, saved or not, are completely and totally dependent on God. Look, you can't save yourself. You can't draw near to a holy God by yourself. You don't have divine directives in and of yourself. You're dependent on Him for everything you do, but you're rarely conscious of that. You just agree to it in church. Anybody make uh, end-of-the-year selections last year? Like, uh, next year, please deduct this from my payroll. Next next year, uh, this amount will go to my 401k. Next year, this is my health insurance selection. You know, we do so many things in a day that affect our entire life that you don't acknowledge, you don't have the ability to make at all. I was sitting around with my son last night. I have praying through the tabernacle with the pastors this morning. I had to confess it. I determined the course of my day today in and of my own assessment. Do you know what that is? That's serious sin. But wait a minute. Everything that I planned was good. Who determined that it was good? Well, I did. How's that any different than Adam and Eve taking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Are you beginning to follow me here? Yeah. Now, what happens when we do that is we are ruling God out of our reasoning. Yeah. And we feel good about it because we are the judge of what is good and what is not. Instead of being dependent on him to show us what he wants. Now, you know the truth. You become dependent on him when you fail. You become dependent on him when you have great burden and great need. Then you're ready to depend on him. But Jesus said, I do nothing on my own. Man, let that sink in on you for just a second. Are the long faces out there because you're contemplating it? All right, everybody in this room speak to me. Are the long faces out there because you're contemplating it? Then let's go to John 8, 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Man, isn't this a really good time to ask yourself, can you make this statement honestly? So Ibrahim comes home after a hard day of work and he's like, Eve, I didn't come on my own. The father sent me. Of course not. He came home because he was hungry, right? John comes home after, Elder John comes home after a day of work and he sees this little girl and he says, I haven't come on my own, but the father sent me. Now, probably that's never happened. But shouldn't it? Shouldn't everything that we do have a divine directive behind it because it was birthed of Him? And if you're praying continually and praying without ceasing, if all day long, then you are constantly, kind of like a GPS, bouncing back and forth. It is your godly positioning system making sure that you are in the right place at the right time. 
But if we're completely honest, that is not how this crazy, charismatic, fired up, special forces kind of church operates. We have periods where we're in a minefield. It's like a DEFCON 5, so we operate that. But that is not how our average life looks like. And we're going to change it. Do you want to change it? Yes. What would your life look like if you were working through the tabernacle in daily dependency? What if three or four times a day you were stopping and going through this in your thoughts? What if when you were in the car you were praying? Is there anybody in here that honestly thinks you'd be worse off for it? No. Amen. We'd be so much better. See, this not only applies to a daily dependency of what we do. It also is a daily dependency of every word that we say. Let's go to John chapter 14 and verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Wow. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. See, the question we have to ask is, how did the Father live in him? Was he the embodiment of an old man named Zeus, or was it the spirit of the Father within him, living in him, moving him, and directing him about every word that he was going to say? See, Jesus, every word that he spoke was the Father speaking through him, every single word, as the Son of Man. See, we're not talking about the need of a lost person to depend on the Father. We're talking about the need of a born-again believer, you, me, to have this level of dependency. How many words in a day do we just speak? And how many of those words are directed by us and not a symbol of being dependent upon our Heavenly Father? What exactly does this speech look like? It looks like, Lord, I depend on you to tell me everything that needs to come out of my mouth. When James speaks about this tongue is a a world of evil. It is a spark that sets the world on fire. It's a rudder on a ship guiding and directing. How much do we need to depend on God to give us exactly what we need to say at all moments? So there's an incredible burden here right now from a preaching perspective. We knew when you walked through the door, you would not disagree with this. And we also know that you do not do this. So that leaves us in a position of how hard do we have to slap you to get you to consider that you are not doing something that you readily agree with and you're excusing it because you agree with it, which is actually a condemnation of your present behavior. So the point of what we're sharing is not to get you to go, "Uh uh-huh. It's really to commit to cultivate something in you. Now, for a few of you, especially you engineers, this would be paralyzing. You'd be like, then I can't speak. No, this is not also, not, also not of God. We're talking about cultivating an attitude that says, Lord, I want to share everything that you want me to share. Lord, I don't want to utter worthless words. I only want to utter worth. The only way I could do this is if I'm constantly dependent and drawing near to you. So it's an all-day, everyday thing, not a somebody asked me whether I want a hamburger or a taco, so here's a two-week prayer session and fasting to determine. It's a constant contact as opposed to an occasional contact 
as the result of some trauma. Amen. Consider as we're speaking of your actions that must be dependent. Somebody say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Your speech that must be completely dependent upon the heavens. Somebody say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Turn to John chapter 4 and verse 34 and we're going to see another facet of our life that we must be dependent upon the Lord in. John 4, 34. It says this. My food, said Jesus. My sustenance, the thing that actually propels me forward, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. See, our actions must be completely dependent upon Him. Our speech must be completely dependent upon Him. Our completion of the work that He has assigned us must be and is based on a complete dependency of Him. See, this complete dependency that we're talking about is going to cause you to complete the work that He gave you to do. Look at John 6 and 38. John 6, 38. It says this, For I have come down from heaven. Again, Jesus speaking here. Not to do my will. Not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. Where has the Lord sent you? What has He given you to do? You cannot, in the process of saying, I'm going, I am doing God's will, and yet you're doing what you desire, what you decide in the process. That's not the dependency that we're after today. See, there is no place for you and me to accomplish our own will. Consider John 17, 4. Turn there with me. Jesus praying to the Father. In a beautiful prayer, you see His heart being expressed in His words. I have, John 17, 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Wow. We are not trying to find our own work and then ask God to bless what we've decided. What we're saying is He has assigned us a good work to do and we must complete it. And when we do that, it brings glory to the Father. See, Jesus' life illustrates the need for us to be completely dependent upon God in every area of our life. Somebody say every area. Every area. Whether it's actions, whether it's speech, whether it's completing the work. We must daily pray through the tabernacle so that we can be completely dependent upon Him and complete the work that He's given us to do, thereby bringing glory to the one that we were drawn to in the first place. You're almost there. Let's go to John 18, 11. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? It'd be so easy to miss the fact that this is a question. Like, that could just skim right over the top of your head. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me. It's a question that was intended to be rhetorical because Jesus' whole life had demonstrated He would drink the cup the Father had given Him. But the reason it has to be a question is because most don't. We're not, we're, we're not dependent enough on the Lord to believe that we must complete the last thing He gave us to do before we start another one. We're... So independent that having been given a divine directive, we can stop in the middle of it because it costs too much. Because it's too hard. You know, perhaps this is a question that you also need to answer. Will you drink 
the cup the Father has given you. Oh, it's easy to say yes, but that's because you don't even know what is in it. Getting a revelation into the seriousness of this kind of dependency, it has one overriding fruit. I mean, are you ready for it? It, The way you know whether you're getting your dependency right is clear. It's an easy, one fill-in-the-blank kind of answer. Do you want it? Are you sure? It shows up in your necessity of drawing near to Him. See, if you're dependent on Him for everything, then you will be drawing near to Him constantly. So when you're sitting there in those moments and you're like, you know, I don't really want to go, then you're not dependent on Him. When you're sitting there in the moment and somebody's like, let's going to pray, and you're thinking like, how long is that going to take? You're not dependent on Him. When you're sitting in a service like this and you're thinking about what you're going to do after the service... You're not dependent upon Him. See, and the reason I can give every one of those examples is I'm not nearly dependent on Him like I should be. Okay? I make my own plans. When, when He does speak to me, I get really excited and it's the rare event rather than the, the norm. And it's my fault. If you want to know how dependent you are on Him... Ask yourself how many times in the middle of the day you have ground everything to a halt and just sought his face. Proper dependency causes you to draw near. That's a good gauge for you. If you're drawing near in the services, then at best you're on life support, but you have no idea what dependency on him is in a divine sense. Church, you and I have been credited with righteousness. We have been given a gift from God Almighty because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have been credited with righteousness. But we also should be amazingly, acutely aware that His righteousness is not seen in us enough. Are you feeling that with us? Are you feeling what your pastors are feeling right now? See, it's not seen nearly enough. We are unholy men. But the great news is that we are being drawn by a great and a holy God to His side. And we will be made holy. Somebody say made holy. Made holy. You want to be made holy? Then that requires that you draw near to God because He is drawing you. He is wanting you to be close. He knows that the answer, the solution of the difference between your credited righteousness and you actually being righteous is the fact that He will draw you and make you righteous. He will make you holy. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 7. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 7. What's the fruit of dependency? Then let's move on to drawing near. Everybody say draw near. And see, we're, we're not a one-trick pony this morning. We are talking about dependency, and you're going to connect dependency to its fruit, which is drawing near. So we've moved from dependency to its fruit, which is drawing near. Everybody say, drawing near. Drawing near. Deuteronomy 4, 7 says this, 
What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them? Somebody say near. Near Near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him. See, that spirit of holiness is drawing you. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of holiness is drawing you to Him. He then begins to perfect you and to make you holy, to make you righteous. He begins to transform you into what He is. And He completes that transformation as you get to the very throne of His presence. The throne of where He is, but it is done through the drawing of the Spirit. And He makes us what we should be. To be made holy. It's, it's not to be called holy. It's not to be to be credited with holiness. It's to actually be made holy. God calls something that is not as though it were, and then His divine power causes it to be. Have y'all ever noticed that in the Word? Well, He does that with you at salvation. He calls you righteous, but then He has to make you that way as you are dependent on Him and drawing near to Him. 2 Timothy 2.21, I'm just going to read to you. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. The very presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is for you to operate in dependency on Him, And that Spirit will draw you into Himself, making you more and more holy. In other words, He doesn't just credit you with righteousness. He also draws you into what He is, and He makes you holy. Is that too deep for you? Can I ask you to take an honest evaluation for a second? Have you been credited with more than you actually present in your character? Do you feel a drive to close that gap? See, that is a mark of somebody who's learning to be dependent on him. They feel a drawing. I have got to get closer to the Lord, becoming more like him. And he wants that. You know what he has no interest in? The man that says, because I believed, because I was saved, because of something that happened a long time ago, I'm now just good. You'll find out when he lights you on an eternal fire how wrong you were. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to see this process even further about being made holy. Say draw near whenever you get there. Hebrews 2.11, both the one who makes men holy, makes men holy, and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. See, we are drawn near because we are looking to the Father to make us holy and come to that point that we will stand complete having been made holy. Do you see the process that we are be, he is making us holy, and there is the goal of being made holy, complete in His sight. See, what was initially credited becomes increasingly true. As you continue to draw near to Him, you become more and more like Him, more like His holiness, and accomplishing that goal of being made completely holy, just as He is completely holy. 
Church, we're going to continue with this thought because we don't think through this enough. We either get in one camp or the other. and We've got to understand what God is drawing us towards this morning. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 13 for an incredibly clear picture of what we're talking about here. Hebrews 10, 13 says this. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. <laughs> and you can rest assured that they will in fact be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice, verse 14, take a look at it. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. Well, praise God, he's made us perfect and it lasts forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Yes, that is true. And those who are being made holy. Yes. How can you both be past tense made perfect and present tense being made perfect? Future tense being made perfect. Yes, this is the process that we are in right now. We are credited with perfection. It's given to you. It says here is the promise from the heavens of what you will be in its entirety. Now, you need to be made holy in a daily way so that you can realize fully enjoy and become everything that you are already granted and credited with from the very beginning. How does He do this in us? What is this process like? It's because we are drawing near to the One who is drawing us. As we learn about our dependency and then respond from the dependency, not staying in a hole, but being drawn to Him and moving toward Him and getting up and going where He says He is the One who makes us holy and we know that the outcome is the promise of the perfection forever because of his sacrifice but we're being made holy somebody say amen Amen. so i grew up in a religious setting as um, a a little pharisee in training that was quite the devil and uh i i heard something many thousands of times oh lord we're just old sinners when I got born again, I, I, I realized they were, were accurately assessing themselves. That's all they were. That's all they'll ever be. But that's not what I was now. I was something more than that now. So we began teaching, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And now I've lived long enough to see that there is a problem with what I've been teaching. When you teach people you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, which the Scripture declares, you're also not acknowledging something else the Scripture declares. The fact that you're called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus doesn't alleviate you from having to become what the Scripture says about you. So on the one hand, we have a, I'm just an old sinner. And like Eeyore, that's the dumb donkey you'll always be. And on the other hand, we have a kind of hyper-faith idea that we already are there. The way to understand this is you are credited with it right now, but you must complete it. You do that throughout your lifetime. 1 Corinthians 1-2 says it like this, To the church of God. Am I talking to the church of God today? Yes. I mean... I'm not talking to the church of Buddha this morning, the church of Allah this morning, or some other kind of demonic entity. We're talking to the church of God. Is that right? Yes. 
to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart in Christ Jesus, sanctified, that's good, and called to be holy. Do you hear how he's laying it out in front of you? See, all believers are credited with righteousness, but all believers are called to become what they are credited with. You were set apart and are being drawn to Him so that you might become what He is. You are called to be holy even as He is holy. Have you ever looked back on your life and go, I was as holy as I knew how to be at that moment? But knowing what I know now, it yeah. still falls woefully short of Christ? Yeah. Yes. Man, that's, I've been going through that for years. Yeah. And... and And it's going to keep happening. The closer you get to Him, the more you see that that's true. Daily walking through the tabernacle puts this concept at the foremost part part of your thoughts, your aims, your actions. It says, I am deficient, and in the very next step says, I am the very image of God. But invites Him to lead you. That's the point, is that you're acknowledged. You're not just, when, when Romans 6 says, count yourself dead to sin, it doesn't say pretend that you're dead to sin. It doesn't say play like you're dead to sin. In fact, same chapter says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. What we're working at is the tension of knowing how dependent you are causes you to want to get close to Him all day, every day. It stops being a church service, and when you do come to church services, what you're doing is sharing the divine directives that you all have been getting from Him from your daily dependency and drawing near. Yeah, amen. What good news it is that we have the opportunity to draw near. And draw near because we can be like Him. We can be holy as He is holy. Let me read this to you. Acts chapter 20. Verse 32. Now I commit you to God and the word and to the word of his grace, which can. Everybody say the word can. Can. Oh, I I see a process here. They've been committed to God. They've been giving the word of his grace and committed to it. Now there's a responsibility to engage it so that you can build, be built up. In other words, you have potential. You do. It's possible. Yes. And if you're lucky, you can receive the same trophy that I did in high school and that was most improved. That means that my coach saw that I could, but I actually had to do something the entire season to build up and accomplish it. Let me read the whole verse again. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. See, there is a process and a goal in front of us that once you are committed to God and you have his word of grace given to you, you can be built up by that very word. But you are to continue to draw near to him daily so that you can receive that inheritance along with those who have been what? Sanctified. You can get to that completion and inherit everything that God has in store for you that's been credited to you. But now when you are built up by these things, you can have it in fullness. Let's take a look at Romans 15, 16. We're developing a thought here and we're wanting you to get this. 
Romans 15, 16 says this, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. Man, that moves my heart. Paul is saying here of the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God. There's potential there. We're, we're giving them the priestly duty. We're proclaiming the gospel of God. It is being proclaimed to us. We're proclaiming the great name of the Lord so that there might be an ability for them to become an offering that's acceptable to God, yeah. sanctified by the Holy Spirit. See, like the church at Corinth, like the believers in Ephesus and here in Rome, we are Gentiles, or most of us anyway in the room, Gentiles who have been credited with the sanctification of the spirit of holiness. And still must become an acceptable offering to God. Anybody got a heart that wants to become acceptable to God? See, this is done. This is accomplished through us drawing near to Him. Daily depending. Daily drawing near. Daily being made into what He's given us, credited us, and given us the potential to become. But it's through our daily drawing near to the Lord. But the thing is, is I believe in eternal security. It's based on eternal obedience. How many of you got that? <laughs> Judas, Demas, Hymenaeus, Philitus, etc. Are you going to say that they were never credited with righteousness? They were never called towards righteousness and started in that calling? Let's not be silly. They were credited, but they defaulted. They're bankrupt because they did not become or make progress towards what they were credited with in the first place. Look, I want to comment to you on the importance of what we call the Holy Spirit and should probably be referred to as the spirit of holiness. If you don't catch the difference, if my emphasis are on the wrong syllables, then Think of it this way. The very Spirit of God that is able to make you holy. Okay? I have a a chart that you ought to be familiar with. The process of the tabernacle starts with the gates of praise. And moves to the altar of sacrifice. And then moves to a laver where your image is being renewed. But John 6.44 says all of that is the work of the Spirit. You cannot come to Him unless the Spirit of the Father draws you. So the spirit of holiness is the reason that you first noticed his name. The reason you first noticed the disparity between you and him. He is also what begins to speak to you the image you were created to be. Then there was on the other side of the menorah, there is the table of the presence, the showbread. It's the spirit who shows you what the word means. If, if, if you didn't have the presence of the Holy Spirit, you, you wouldn't understand the word at all. If you want to see that demonstrated, pick up your average commentary. The altar of incense. You don't know what to pray unless the Spirit shows you. The Holy of Holies. The only way you become what God's presence is, is through the Spirit of His holiness. The unparalleled truth in the tabernacle of Moses is that the Spirit instructs you in all things. It takes three steps before you're asking for instruction because the Spirit has to plow your heart for you. 
Then you ask for his instruction and there's three steps of action after it because the Spirit is perfecting you in carrying out the instruction. Those of you that are tempted to say, why, why are these pastors always teaching on old Jewish things? Why? This, this feels like format to me. And this feels like ritual. I'm just going to be led of the Spirit. You have no idea what you're talking about. You wouldn't know you were being led by the Spirit were it not for these formats that are laid down. These formats are guidelines to train an unruly, undependent, toxically uh, independent people what it is to depend on God and invite His leading of the Spirit. Okay, That's the unparalleled truth we're driving you to. Can we, can we move on from drawing? So if we started in dependency and the fruit of dependency was being drawn. Being dependent on Him, the Spirit draws you. And as you're being drawn, what then starts to happen? He's going to direct you. So we're moving from dependence to drawing to being directed. Our message today is dependency, drawing, and divine directive. We are walking through the practical aspects of the tabernacle. Are you, you catching me so far? Yes. Pastor Matthew, would you start to read Revelation 5? I know I was supposed to, but I'm rather enjoying interrupting you. That's a divine directive. Amen. Revelation chapter 5, verse 4. I wept and wept. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. Think about this for a second. Wept and wept because nobody's worthy. Who is there? Well, there are seraphim there. There are cherubim there. There are elders there. There are saints uh, from many nations there. And no one is worthy. They're in a holy place with a holy God, but they are unworthy. Keep going. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. All right, everybody, you ready? See my hand? Everybody look! A lion. Now what would you expect to see if I did that? A lion. Verse 6. Then I saw a lamb. Wait. Behold, a lion! My God, it's a lion! (laughs) And you turn and look, and what did he see? A lamb. You're going to have to deal with this contrast for a minute. Are they lying? Behold, the lion! I would not expect to turn and see a pussycat. I would turn and expect to see a lion. Yeah. And he sees a lamb. More than that, what kind of lamb? Looking as if it had been slain. Standing in the center of the throne. I want you to catch this. Behold a lion. Come on, guys. Anybody want to be a lion? Yes. Yeah. And then I looked and I saw a lamb. Well, is Jesus a lion? Well, yeah. 
In the law, in Genesis 49, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. In the prophets, in 2 Samuel 7, he's the offspring of David. This is a lion-like family heritage. He, in the writings, triumphs because in Psalm 40, 6 through 8, he shows up to do the will of God. So what is going on then? When you know your dependency on the Lord, when you're actually being drawn towards him, you start to get some insight into what Revelation 5 is about. Behold, the lion! And everybody looks. And then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah precisely because he is the lamb of God led by him in every scenario. When you look and see a dependent person who is being drawn into the presence of God again and again and again, you see somebody that looks like a slain lamb. The guy can't even make a decision. He's so meek. So He's so spiritual to be of no earthly good. You see something that is not of worth. And what you look for in life is the projection of strength. What this is teaching us is that real lion-like, say lion-like, lion-like strength is in your dependency and drawing near to the Lord. The reason Jesus in the heavens is called the lion, but to a guy's eyes looks like a lamb, is that is what lion-like strength is. Pastor Matthew's got an extraordinary verse worth thinking through about that. It is John 14, 31. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Exactly. Who else in heaven or on earth could say this? Who could stand confidently and say, I do exactly what my Father has commanded me? No one. See, other than Jesus, who else has demonstrated this lion-like nature of following the Father's divine directive? That came as a result of being dependent and drawing near to the Father and following every command that the Father gave him. See, I want you to understand, this is something that wasn't credited to Jesus. This was achieved by Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, let me put that in your vernacular, all right? He didn't have to apply for a loan and get a lender to lend him this nature. He walked in and paid cash blood for it. Mm. Every action, every word, everything that he did, he was actually Proving his dependency on the Father. And friends, that is lion-like. But to the world, look like any old lamb to be discarded. Let me read to you Matthew 26, 39. It says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is in this moment, not only showing the dependency, not only showing that he's drawn as he falls on his face, but he's proving a lion-like ability to follow God's directives. 
It's not just credited to Him. It is proven to Him. Yet not what I want, Lord, but as You will. That is a lion-like ability to be able to follow the Father's divine directives and have it appear in His actions and move the heavens and the earth with it. John 4.34 declares this lion-like ability when Jesus says, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and finish His work. See, it's not just doing everything the Father said, but doing it unto completion of the divine directive that the Father gave Him. I loved John 10.18. No one takes it from me. Jesus wasn't murdered. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. See, it's not just that He's submitting to the Father's will, it's that the Father's will has become His will. See, that is somebody who is dependent and drawn in when His will becomes your will. Some of you should be praying, Lord, I don't want to want these things anymore. I want to want your things. Amen. We need this kind of lion-like turning. I lay it down of my own accord. See, he had a choice, guys. And he makes a good one. John chapter 12 and verse 27 says this, Now my heart is troubled. Man, what is it like for Jesus to have a heart that is troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No! It was for this very reason that I came to the hour itself. Father, glorify your name. Coming with a dependency on God. Coming and being drawn. He shows a lion-like understanding. A lion-like obedience that says, I'm not going to run away from the very things that you desire, God. My heart may be troubled, but I'm going to run towards it. I understand that your will is for this to happen in my life. Is for this to be accomplished. Lord, I will glorify your name because I am going to be obedient to your divine directives. I'm dependent. I've been drawn. And now I will show that I love you that I am close to you because I will obey your divine directives. So in John 12, here, it's for this very reason that you've come to this hour. That's what Jesus said, that he came to this hour. So, Mr. Ludvigson, think about it. Why is my wife acting this way? I'm sure you've never had to say that, but in my house I have. What if it's for this very reason that you've come to this hour? What if this is your opportunity to be like, Rick Lohan, what happens at work when everything is broken? You're like, why me? Why is it? What if it's for this reason? Justin, what if it's for this reason? See, I'm coming back to another question that we never actually answered. So Adam, maybe I'll pick you for a minute. This is John 18, 11. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? The question remains before you, Adam. Will you drink the cup? So, oh, yes, yes, Lord, I will. But not in this fight with my wife. Not in this situation at work. Not with this with my child. I mean, this is different, Lord. Is it? Or are you dependent on Him in everything and you act independently when the cost is too high? See, Jesus reached a place where he's sweating as if it were drops of blood because the cost was high. Like my voice just went. Yeah. 
Let's reason with each other, friends. Has the cost been too high in some areas and so you exhibit no dependency? Let me answer it for you. Yes. If you want to be lied to, go to some other church. They'll do that without any problem. And you can pay them to lie to you. It's like a beautiful 80s song, Sweet Little Lies. Or another one, Tainted Love. What we're trying to drive you towards is a process where you can examine yourself and learn where you have to cultivate dependency. Look at where you are uh, weaseling out. There are some other words that might fit there for you. But that's not what you're becoming. See, when you face what you are at the bronze altar, you get to go to the laver and see what you're becoming. And that, that tension between those two things is what dependency and drawing is about because you reach a place where you're being divinely directed. Yeah. And that's what every son or daughter of God wants, isn't it? Yeah. Divine direction. Amen. Now, how many of you have to get directions more than once? Let me just pick Miss Pat. Miss Pat is one of the most amazing women I've ever met. That's She's right. a fantastic cook. If yes. you've never danced with Miss Pat, mm, this, this, this woman, she, she, she knows how to cut a rug. But if we ask Miss Pat to drive across a city that she's lived in all of her life, we're going to have to give her directions about 15 times. Stay on the phone the whole time. Yeah. And, and, then, and then, you know, go this way. Which way? This way or that way? It's... She needs directions in a car. Now, I'm sure Miss Pat's really different than all the rest of you. You pray through the tabernacle many times in a day because you need directions many times in a day. The situation's changing on the ground as far as your perception. You're needing this regularly. If you do this right, if you are dependent, drawn, and you're pressing in to get divine directives, there is a result. There is. Philippians 2.8 says this, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. See, Jesus knew he had to complete the divine directive of his father in order to be exalted to that highest place and in order to have that name that is above every name he must go through that process of being completely dependent drawing near to the father and completely fulfilling the divine directive the father would give him and then stand in a place where he is filled with glory he can stand confident before the father that he has done everything the Father has directed him to do. Hebrews 12.2 says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author. The originator. And the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him. Endured the cross. Scorning its shame. And sat down at the right hand. Of the throne of God. 
Come on now, church. Every time you're praying through the tabernacle, every time you realize the dependency that you must have and you're being drawn to Him, every time you do that, you are choosing to be perfected and not just resting on the fact that it was credited to you somewhere in the past. You're choosing to be perfected. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. He is both the one that originates it and He is the one that causes it to come to maturity. He is both the one who gives it to you, credits it to you, and then makes you into what He's just given you. Come on now. Every time you become lion-like, as you become fully dependent, as you draw close to Him, and as you complete, somebody say complete, complete, complete the divine directives that He gives us each and every day. Amen. He originates your loan. He approves your loan. He funds your loan. And by His Spirit, you pay the loan. He's lion-like. Everything about Him. So we've been asking you, will you drink the cup? Now I'm asking you, will you allow Him to perfect your faith? Or will you cling to an itty-bitty, immature faith? Because it might not be enough. We're going to close looking at the tabernacle. If we could put that on the screen. There are many things we could teach you. We want to. We do it all of the time. I mean, it's not like we need to stay on the same subject because we've run out of material. It's what we think the Lord is doing in this church. You know, if I wanted to take the time to do it, we'd talk to you about the centurion. In Luke 7, in the way that the centurion demonstrates all seven steps. It's actually in our notes, but we're not going to do it. We wanted to do it. We could talk to you about Leviticus 21. A priest can't leave the work of the Lord for any reason, even if people are dropping dead like flies all around him. Unless he's allowed to make himself unclean for a woman in his household related by marriage. I want you to think what this is all about. Every time you come to the greatness of our priest's name and you say, I'm unclean. He's willing to make himself unclean to make you right. That's one sacrifice for all. He'll never be crucified for you again. That's a demonic Catholic teaching. But you are reliving what he has done for you and asking him to continue it in you. That's what that altar is about. The laver, the laver is so that you can reacquaint with the man he's called you to be instead of the man that you just were. Tell me you don't need that. If you will walk through the gates into his house rightly, if you will begin to circumcise away the very nature that shouldn't be there, actively working at it, sharpening your knife, looking for new ways to cut it out, you will see an ever-perfected image in that labor. But you still 
we have to walk into a holy place and say, Lord, you've cleaned me up and I feel like your son, but I don't know what to do. I'm dependent on you. Not dependent on you just to save me. That was the beginning. I'm dependent on you to draw me the rest of the way into your presence. I'm dependent on you to give me direction in how to carry out your will. Tell me you don't need that. I'm going to go out on a crazy wild limb and suggest that you do need it in ways you haven't begun to consider. That as you peer into the depths of such a simple teaching, all you're going to see is your own deficiency and bankruptcy, which will cause you to cry out to the only one that can cure your problem. And if you're comforting yourself right now with, well, I got saved many years ago, you might be too stupid to be saved. Because it's what we've been talking about all day. He didn't just save you years ago. He's continuing to save you all of the time. I don't want you to be too stupid to be saved, but that choice is up to you. Lots of people live that way. Blinded by your own sin so you don't even detect what you're doing is wrong. We're pounding away at this because we want you to be perfected. And the thing is, is we can't do it. We cannot do it for you any more than we can do it for ourselves. But we found the one who will. Amen. And I'm kind of in love with the process. A little bit like a drug addict. You mean I can have more? A bigger shot? A bigger dose? More? As much as you'll cut away, he'll replace with that much more of him. So what we're about to do, it gives you a chance to walk into the throne room of God, but you've got to walk through the right steps. You're not accountable to us for this in this moment. You're accountable to Him for it. I mean, that's the thing. All of this is about cultivating a fear of God. You know that He knows what you're thinking right now. You know that. Make your father proud. Be conformed to his image. Stand to your feet.